listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for spending some of your time with us this hour. We're keeping our eye on the situation in the education sector. We are expecting some new information in within the hour, both from the education minister and then shortly after 1 o'clock, we're expected to hear from OSSTF, secondary school teachers. We are expecting some kind of update, and I would not be surprised. I don't think anybody should be surprised if we get another announcement of another walkout or perhaps something even more serious. Remember that unions must give five days notice. So if the notice comes today, then that is in the middle of next week, Wednesday, possibly Thursday of next week for another possible walkout. Keep your eye on that. We're on top of that, and we'll bring that to you as soon as it happens here on Global News Radio. But I want to begin with a very sad anniversary. Obviously, this is the 30th anniversary of the Montreal Massacre. It was in 1989 that the École Polytechnique Massacre propelled the issue of violence against women to the forefront of the Canadian consciousness. Thirty years later, to be a woman in Canada still means living with risk to live knowingly that on average a woman is killed every other day and that once a week a woman is murdered by her partner. One in three women will experience some form of sexual violence over the course of their lives. What happened 30 years ago was an attack on women, on feminism. It was an attack on the hard-won rights of women. And that attack continues to this day. It happened on the streets of this city on April 23rd, 2018. I'll get to more of that in a moment, but first, Catherine Bergeron's sister, Genevieve, was one of the 14 women killed in Montreal 30 years ago. She says it's a good thing that now, finally, finally now, Canadians are publicly discussing the massacre as an anti-feminist attack. I think it's it's important and it's a very good thing that we can put a name on it and there there is a sort of a social uh, consensus um, because we can try we can talk about what we can do for the future uh, and and not being stopped by how we should uh, call or qualify the event you know um, now we can go on now we can do better now we can work together so for me yes it, it, it is very positive and it reflects what the feeling I have uh, for, for the last 30 years anyways. The feeling that she has had for the past 30 years, but perhaps this country has not come to grips, has not come to terms with what the meaning is of what happened 30 years ago and how it echoes to this day. This grim anniversary was remembered in the House of Commons today. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau telling the House that not enough, not nearly enough, has been done over the past three decades to protect women. Each December, as we honor the memories of those 14 women, the survivors, and the families, we promise to do better. But the reality is that in 30 years, things haven't changed enough. Women, girls, and people of diverse gender identities still face unacceptable and preventable violence. Violence that destroys lives, families, and communities. It is more than time for change. It is more than time to put an end to gender-based violence 
including the national tragedy of missing and murdered indigenous women and girls. Because it is more than time to build a country where everyone is safe and where everyone's rights are respected and realized. That is Justin Trudeau speaking this morning in the House of Commons, marking the 30th anniversary of the Montreal Massacre. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh says that even after 30 years, it's still horrific to think of the deaths of those 14 women. They were so young, their lives holding such promise. But what continues to hit me today is how ordinary violence and the message it sends to women is. We need to stop putting the responsibility of being safe on women and girls and start putting that responsibility of respecting women on men. That is Jugmeet Singh speaking in the House today, marking the 30th anniversary of the attack in Montreal. And I mentioned that this has reverberated and has not changed. It has not changed. We have had an attack like this, have we not, right on the streets of this city. 27-year-old Alex Manassian is charged with 10 counts of first-degree murder and 16 counts of attempted murder for the incident that took place on the streets of this city on Young Street, April 23, 2018. Eight of the ten who died that day were women. Manassian, as you know, fancies himself a quote-unquote incel. And in his police investigation, or rather in his police interrogation, pardon me, he spoke proudly of what he had done. And this hate, it is still out there. Angry, disaffected men. Largely disaffected young men who look around for something or someone to blame for what has gone wrong in their own lives, their own inadequacies. And time and time again, they blame women. Later on in the program, our Catherine McDonald, our global news crime specialist, is going to join me from outside the courthouse where a jury is expected shortly to release its verdict or come to a verdict in the death of a woman who was killed in her home. Catherine has covered far too many of these stories over the years. She's going to join me with some of her perspectives. That's coming up on the Alan Carter Radio program. But before I move on, I want to talk a little bit about Grassy Narrows, because it is in the news again this morning. The Supreme Court of Canada saying that two companies are now on the hook for looking after the mercury-contaminated site near Ontario's Grassy Narrows First Nation. It was eight years ago that the Ontario government ordered a company, two companies rather, to monitor and maintain a mercury waste site disposal site at Dryden, where toxic material from the pulp and paper mills operations entered the, uh, the river system Pardon me, back in the 1960s. Now, the two companies had claimed that an indemnity granted in 1985 to the owners of the facility at the time, it was part of a settlement at that time with the First Nations, applied to them as well. But the province had disagreed. An Ontario judge ruled in favor of the companies. An Ontario Court of Appeal reversed that. And now we have this ruling from the Supreme Court. It is a four to three decision. And it says that that 1985 indemnity order does not apply 
to the province's 2011 environmental order. Essentially, it's a complicated way of saying that the companies are still liable. They're liable for the costs of carrying all of this out. In terms of background, it is believed that approximately 10 tons of mercury was dumped into the river system near Grassy Narrows between 1962 and 1970. Both the paper and chemical companies ceased operations in 1976, after 14 years of operation. However, time has not lowered the levels of mercury in that river system, as the paper and pulp industry in Dryden and the Canadian government had originally told the Aboriginal population that makes that area their home. Grassy Narrows elder Bill Forbester spoke earlier this week in Ottawa about living with mercury poisoning amid calls for end to the delays to build a health centre to try and treat the effects. It's a reality. I have mercury poisoning too. My parents had mercury poisoning. They all died. And my, all my brothers have, uh, have mercury poisoning and they have died. Now I'm sort of the, the last oldest one within our generation. And my kids have mercury poisoning. My grandkids have mercury poisoning. It's not, uh, it's not uh, healthy for my family. That is Bill Forrester, an er- elder from Grassy Narrows, talking about the impact of mercury poisoning on his family. And again, news today that the Supreme Court of Canada says the two companies are on the hook for looking after that mercury-contaminated site near Ontario's Grassy Narrows First Nation. And those two stories that we talked about here are interrelated. A failure on the part of Canadian society, of Canadian leadership, to deal with both violence against women 30 years ago, that attack in Montreal, and yet things have not really improved. And for the contaminated site near Grassy Narrows, a blight on Canadian society, a failure for us to look after our own. Welcome back. We have some developing news, uh, information coming from the Education Ministry Office that Stephen Lecce, the Minister of Education, will hold a news conference in about 12 minutes' time. He'll be just shortly after 12.30 in the Queen's Park Press Gallery, in the uh, media studio, pardon me, and we will bring that to you live as it happens. Stephen Lecce with an update coming up very shortly, and we'll carry it live here on Global News Radio. Interesting that he's doing that because we're expecting to hear from both unions, both OSSTF and ETFO, later in the afternoon. It is clear that Mr. Lecce is looking to preempt that. It'll be interesting to see or to hear what he has to say. Stay tuned for that. Now, today, of course, is the 30th anniversary of the mass shooting at Montreal's École Polytechnique. Conservative leader Andrew Scheer was speaking in the House this morning. He urged members and all Canadians to fight to make violence against women a thing of the past. Let us consider the messages we send about the value, worth, and dignity of women in our speeches, in our actions, in the examples we set for our sons and daughters. May we each decide that we will each do our part to make Canada a safer place. And in this way, 30 years later, let us honor the memory of the victims of the Polytechnique. 
That is Andrew Shear speaking this morning. Let us honor the menu and men, memory, pardon me, and what can we do? Each do our own part. According to a new survey conducted by Statistics Canada, one-third of Canadian women have felt unsafe in public because of the behavior of someone else. Those public places include coffee shops, the street, shopping malls, public transportation, bars and restaurants, anyone, or pardon me, anywhere, there is little or no restriction of entry. This report from StatsCan found that 32% of women in Canada over the age of 15, 4.9 million women, had experienced some form of unwanted sexual behavior while they were in public in 2018. That is more than double the number of men surveyed who said the same. That's 13% for men. The survey of safety in public and private spaces released Thursday looked at a range of unwanted behaviors, including touching, getting too close in a sexual manner, unwanted comments, gender or sexual orientation insults, whistling, catcalling. I'm sure you're not surprised by that list, and I don't know if you are going to be surprised by that number. One-third of Canadian women. And of course, when we talk about violence against women... It is still too prevalent. And my next guest covers these cases from the ground. She covers them in court. She gets to know the families firsthand. Our Global News crime specialist, Catherine McDonald, joins me on the program again. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Alan. Well, actually, I'm at the University Avenue Courthouse covering a case involving violence against an old uh, elderly woman, a woman, a senior citizen who was in the safety of her own home, it was uh, November of 2015. Her name was Stella Tetsos. She was badly beaten to death. Uh, and today, the man uh, accused of killing her was just found guilty of second-degree murder by a jury after two days of deliberations. This was simply a horrific case. Uh, Tetsos um, was, she had contusions all over her body. She had 44 broken ribs. And uh, the Crown alleged that this was uh, basically the result of a break-in gone bad. Now, Sinbad Marshall, the 25-year-old who was found guilty today of second-degree murder, he actually testified in his own defense that he was homeless at the time, living in a tent. He had a drug and alcohol addiction, and he was walking by this home near Birch Mountain, St. Clair, when he noticed the lights were off, no car in the driveway, and he decided to kick in a window, a basement window. And then he, he told the jury that he was surprised by this woman appearing, and that's when he, he uh, hit her in the face. Uh, he said he never meant for her to die, uh, but based on, on the injury she had, she, the Crown said she was badly beaten. So today he was found uh, guilty, and what the jury didn't hear is here's a man who had already been convicted of a very similar assault-causing bodily harm during a break-in just, just two years earlier in 2013. A senior citizen in her home had had a knife uh, take, put, pulled to her neck. Uh, he threatened to kill her. Again, he was after jewelry, as he was in the case of Stella Tetzos. Uh, and in that case, he was given an 18-month jail term, three month, three years probation uh, after he was convicted. And at the time of Stella Tetzos' murder, he, was, he, had been, he had just pleaded guilty to yet another assault. He was on bail awaiting sentencing for that. So the family here is, it's so sad. I'm watching the son and uh, the brother of Stella Tetzos and his wife, they were in tears today because finally there's a conviction. But this woman should have been safe in her own home. She was a grandmother. Um, I said to the son yesterday, I said, these are the kind of cases that make you think if I had an elderly parent, I would want to put them into an apartment or a home. And he said, you know, ironically, just a week after the murder, she had been 
uh, she had gotten accepted to a retirement home because she had finally realized it was time for her to move. Catherine, I know you're covering this case, and again, you, you've made connection with the family, but time and time again, I see your reporting, and it's you're reporting about tragedies involving the death of of a woman, often at the hand of uh, a spouse or, or or someone who is angry with them. And time and time again, we see things like, um, you know, court orders to stay away and all of those things that just not working. Yeah, 100%. There was a case this spring involving a woman. She was attacked by her estranged spouse uh, with a machete. It happened in Scarborough on the street. Uh, we heard that she had gotten off the bus, and he literally uh, followed her was following her home when he attacked her, and there was a court order that he was supposed to keep distance uh, away from her. And, of course, it was only a piece of paper, and it's such a tragedy that played out in such a public way. Uh, there was a murder-suicide recently on Davisville Avenue that I covered. This was a, a woman who had just become a refugee from Ghana, and this was her roommate. She was having an affair with the roommate. She had told her boyfriend about the affair, and... Uh, in fact, the, the roommate had said, if you break up with me, I'm going to kill you and I'm going to kill myself. And that's exactly what he did. These are heartbreaking cases of domestic violence that, again, this is what this day is about, remembering these women and, and getting help for women if they know they're at, in danger before it's too late. Catherine McDonald is Global's Crime Specialist. Always great to have you on the program. Thank you for your insight, Catherine. Thanks for having me. We have developments in the world of business that are going to reverberate from south of the border up here and perhaps even have an impact on how you do your job. BlackRock, I don't know if you know this company, it is the world's largest asset manager. Well, the head of BlackRock has suddenly lost his job. Mark Wiseman has been ousted from this investment giant over his failure to disclose an affair with a colleague. Quote, I am leaving BlackRock because in recent months I engaged in a consensual relationship with one of our colleagues without reporting it as required by BlackRock's relationship at work policy, Mr. Wiseman wrote in an internal memo. Quote, I regret my mistake and I accept responsibility for my actions. I'm reading here from some reporting in the Globe and Mail this morning. And this follows the ouster of Steve Easterbrook who was ousted from his position as McDonald's CEO after the company said that he'd had a consensual relationship with an employee, bringing an extraordinary end to the tenure of one of the restaurant industry's more accomplished executives. What does this mean for Canadian business and for Canadian companies? Stuart Rudner is an employment lawyer and mediator in Toronto and joins me on the program. Hi, Stuart. Hi, Alan. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Is there a difference between Canadian and American law when it comes to this kind of thing? Uh, I really I can't comment on the American law so much, but in the uh, what I see in the Canadian context is very different because in Canada I encourage people not to focus on the relationship, but to focus on the potential impacts on the workplace that could arise out of the workplace or out of the relationship, I should say. In terms of CEOs, they must have obviously very strict contracts. They have all kinds of compensation, you know, all of that. But for those who are not in the C-suite, do these company policies hold up in terms if you wanted to challenge them as wrongful dismissal? Yeah, I mean, that, that's a great question. This to me, I mean, the two cases you mentioned are obviously very high profile. Um, but, you know, as you described it a few minutes ago, you know, in BlackRock, 
he wasn't leaving because of the relationship. He focused on the failure to, to disclose in accordance with the company policy. And that's exactly what, when we work with our clients, we encourage them to forget about the non-fraternization policies or the absolute ban on workplace relationships, which frankly I think is impractical in today's day and age, but also unreasonable and unnecessary. There's nothing inherently wrong with having, with two people in a workplace, having a relationship, whether it's romantic, physical, close friendship, parent and child, what have you. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. But even if there's a a power imbalance, I mean, obviously there's a power imbalance when you're the CEO, but what about a direct report? Exactly. And that's where the two biggest potential issues, one is conflict of interest, and two is if there's a risk of harassment. So your question relates to conflict of interest. And the reality is you should never have a relationship where one party can control the compensation, the workload, or the career path of the other. That's a conflict of interest, and that's where it should be reported and dealt with. Stuart Rudner is an employment lawyer and mediator in Toronto. Stuart, great to talk to you. Thank you. I appreciate your perspective. Thanks for having me on the show. Have a great day. Welcome back to the program. We're keeping our eye at Queen's Park for the Minister of Education. And as soon as he begins to speak, we'll get you there and get you an update what's going on. So all your parents will be up to date. I know a lot of parents are uh, looking after the kids because it's a PA day in the TDSP. So a lot of kids uh, off today. Again, it's been a short week for them, uh, especially for high school students who already had Wednesday off because of the strike. But before we get to that, let's check pop culture and our regular Friday guest, Mira Estrada, is with us. And also the producer of this program, Shiva, Shiva Siddiqui, is joining in. Hi, guys. How you doing? Hey. Who knows who Billy, uh, pardon me, who Van Halen is? Anybody know who Van Halen is? Jump. Van Halen in the news this week, and when it started to trend on Twitter, I thought, okay, who, who, which, which of them has gone on to the great beyond? But no, that, <laughs> I vaguely know that's not true. That's not what the story is about. What is the story about? Well, so Billie Eilish was on Jimmy Kimmel Live. I'm sorry, who? Jimmy Kimmel or Billie Eilish? Either one. I'm just, I'm just throwing it back at. <laughs> Sorry, Billie Eilish, who is a... 17-year-old, uh-huh. big-time pop star right Big now. Star. And so he had asked her to name uh, some members of the band. And she was like, who is that? And uh, that's when the whole thing started. But in her defense, uh, Eddie Van Halen's son, Wolfgang Van Halen, has said, you know what, like, cut her some slack. She is only 17 years old. Um, my dad's songs came out in the 70s and 80s. So how would a 17-year-old really know who Van Halen is? Come on. Sure. Sure. I think we're being a little too critical. I absolutely think so. Okay. I like it. Uh, okay. Uh, moving on. What else do we have in our pop culture rundown? We have Drake. Hit me. Oh, Drake. So Drake started from the bottom. Now he's on Spotify's most stream artists of the decade list. Um, pretty big news, right? 28 billion streams. Mm-hmm. So if he gets like a, a penny for every stream, I, he's a wealthy man. Have you, By the way, if you get a chance, go on the tube, the Instagram tubage, and check out. He's just posted a new walk around of his house. A new man's yes. yes. shot. It is something else. 
Wow. The focus is the fireplace, it seems. The, the focus is <laughs> there's a bearskin rug. Yes. Oh, okay, let's not go I, there. Let's not go there. Well, that's what he's hoping is somebody's going there. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and hopefully not Billie Eilish. <laughs> well, you, yeah. Right? Oh, that right. Was but about last week, he was tweeting, uh, he was sorry, he was texting Billie, stay away from the young girls, Drake. Uh huh. Overage women on that rug. Hey, listen, listen. Okay, uh, from Drake on Spotify, let's go to America's Got Talent, and what's the latest on that? So, NBC has now launched a formal investigation into um, complaints about the toxic workplace environment um, after Gabrielle Union's contract was not renewed. Um, Gabrielle Union actually tweeted that she had a five-hour-long lengthy discussion um, with the production team there, and she said it was quite productive. So let's see what happens. All right. So is that is this the end of that story, or is it going to continue to reverberate? I think it's going to go on. For I a while. think it's just starting. Mm-hmm. And Gabrielle Union's not one to take anything lying down, so she's going to go for it. I think. And this links to my next story, which is Oprah Winfrey producing a documentary about sexual assault in the music industry. Yes, I mean, and we hear stories about this all the time, but like they tend to go. Um, under wraps, but she's going to be following a former music exec who has been grappling to go whether or not to go public about a big figure in the music industry and assault um, by this person. No names have been revealed yet, um, but, but there this are is, rumors. Y- yeah, rumors. there are rumors. Rumors. Oh, what's the hot goss? Well, apparently, it's supposed to be about Russell Simmons. Oh, snap! All right, uh, and finally, as we okay, wrap boomer. up. settle down Karen (laughs) guys let's be positive (laughs) (laughs) thank you thank you Premier Uh, Reebok this is for our vegans out there Reebok is launching its first plant based performance running shoe vegan running shoes now that's old news come on most running shoes are vegan they're synthetic Rob is our resident vegan (laughs) judging everyone he's he's here to judge us all for our For our poor ethical standards. I I say this is good on them. I mean, they're trying to make... I don't know if they're doing it because sustainability in fashion and eco-chic is what people are leaning towards right now, or I'm hoping that they... No. Of course that's why they're doing it. (laughs) Of course that's why they're doing it. Yeah. I mean, it's made out of castor beans, I believe, right? Yeah, I'm reading this here. Yes. So it's called the Forever Float Ride Glow. Grow. It's ridiculous. Oh, wait, is it the shoe that grows after you throw it out? It It's made out of beans, and eucalyptus trees are sourced for the shoe's upper and sock liner. Okay, so let wait, let me give them a bit of credit, though. Uh-huh. Okay, because it's not just a single sole like that. They are aiming to use only 100% recycled polyester in all of their footwear and apparel by 2025. Soul food. Got to. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Mira Estrada is the host of Cultured, which can be heard on the weekend on Saturday nights right here on this radio station. And Sheba Siddiqui is my long-suffering producer who has to deal with my diva antics on a daily basis. Thank you so much for being on the program, both of you. Thank you. to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto.
Welcome back to the program. We're keeping our eye on the media studio at Queens Park. Got my eye on it right now. All the journalists are assembled. There's probably some hot goss going on. They're, as the kids would say, spilling the tea back and forth. See, I'm, I'm, I got my lingo. I know, I know. It's I'm no okay boomer. No, no. What, Sheba? Snap. Snap. Stop. Sheba thinks that my, my Sheba is my producer, and she thinks that my, uh, my my slang is out of date. Okay, fine. But anyway, we're keeping our eye on that, and as soon as he's there, we're going to start uh, taking that, and we'll take you to that and get the update on what's going on there in terms of whether or not there's going to be some more job action or what the minister has to say. We are expecting to hear from both the uh, OSSTF, the secondary school teachers, and also the elementary school teachers, their unions are expected to speak later on this afternoon. Interesting that the minister is trying to get out in front of them. He was supposed to be there 15 minutes ago, so I guess he's not trying that hard to get out in front of them. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Oh, big news last night. Did you manage to catch Toy Drive Live? So much fun. Always a great event. Ten years now. Ten years we've been doing that broadcast. Thirteen years that Global has been partnered with the Toronto Firefighters in their all-important toy drive. And last night we revealed that Chorus Entertainment, Global News, and ET Canada have raised $24,475 towards the Toronto Firefighters Toy Donation Drive. And that is so important. We've been talking about it this week. And here is the... The president, Rick Berenz, of the Toy Drive. This is his final year. His son is taking over from going forward, but this is his final year. And again, he makes the plea that that we, what we need is things for younger, or rather for older kids. As always, our biggest need is 10 and up, boy, girl. And a lot of people have a hard time determining what they should buy for boy, girl, 10 and up. Easy. Personal hygiene items, toques, mitts, gloves, sweatshirts, makeup kits, hair dryers, all of those items you can buy for under $30. And those are a lot of things we take for granted. That is Rick Berenz, the president of the Toy Drive in his final year. And remember, you can still drop off a new unwrapped toy to any Toronto Fire location. Let's take you to Queen's Park. Stephen Lecce is speaking now. Be the casualty of union escalation. Now, I've made clear my concerns with education sector union escalation and noting the trajectory they are on as it undermines our student learning and creates unacceptable uncertainty for their parents. The union leaders have stated publicly that they are not willing to make any changes to proposals at the bargaining table, nor have they made any substantive moves to date, which only affirms their insistence on an increase of $1.5 billion in compensation, which includes pay and benefits. Let you tell now, let's be clear what this issue is really about. We have made major moves on classroom sizes, announced major moves on online learning, and announced significant investments, in fact, over $200 million more million in the defense of public education over the past month. We've made moves. We've stayed at the table. The leadership of teachers' unions have dug in their heels because they exist to advance the interests of their members. Now, my job is to fight for your children. Who's for really investment in their kids? Ask yourself that. In their schools, is the government or the in their futures. That is what I will do each and every day. Now, the contrast here cannot be more clear. If this government does not concede to pay the second highest educators in the nation who make on average... This is Stephen Lecce speaking in the Queen's Park media studio. He is appealing to the unions not to escalate job action. There will be more strike action. This is irresponsible, and this is unacceptable. Ceci est irresponsable, ceci est inacceptable. For the families now, of my this French province, is a little weak, but I believe he is talking about the price of onions. Value deeply. 
But for those workers, they've seen salaries increase by over 80% since, since 2003. These folks who work hard make over $90,000 on average per year. The number of teachers has increased by 12%, while the number of students has increased over that same period by less than 1%. Now, these I'm are not the sure greedy teachers is the move here for the Minister of Education, but that's what he's trying. It is the one truth throughout this process, that escalation on the backs of our kids to advance higher compensation or higher wages or better benefits. We hope the union leaders will accept our call for private mediation. We hope they will stay at the table, seize from further escalation, and more importantly, take up our offer through the mediator to meet again and to propose new dates. Because fundamentally, strikes hurt kids. Our aim is to keep our kids in class. That is our singular priority, and that is the priority of parents in this province. And we're going to work hard every day to deliver another successful agreement with Labour. Stephen Lecce speaking in the Queen's Park Media Studio, now taking questions from the press gallery. How did you learn about it? We have heard, they prepositioned over the past days quite clearly, that they will consider further escalation. Should that be true, I want to get on the record today that the government has been consistently reasonable through this process. The ball is in OSSTF's court. We've made moves. It's now time for them to do the same. When they say to us, or they essentially, in not so subtle terms, preposition on various outlets over the past night, that in the absence of the government making a move fundamentally on compensation, if we don't give them that increase, that they will consider further escalation, I'm naming it and shaming it as an unacceptable request uh, on the government when our priority Naming is to investigate. In shame? And I think when I hear these types of comments in the media, it gives concern. Because what it essentially means is that if we don't accept this increase, a $1.5 billion increase, that they may do more of this, and I think that's unacceptable. So you're saying the Stephen Lecce, naming and shaming what he calls the union escalation. Now, the union has not actually announced this, but this is Stephen Lecce, the Minister of Education, trying to get out in front of this. And this is what this is, folks. This is an attempt to win a PR war. And you hear his position here. It's all about the money. They don't care about the kids. They're just worried thinking about getting fatter. We are the ones that care about the kids. Let's get back to the Minister of Education. Given the QP accepted a 1% increase a month ago, if we do not give them another 1%, another $750 million, they may consider, as they have said, not so subtly, more escalation. And I find that absolutely unacceptable. To answer the question on compensation, salary at 2%, benefits at 6%, this is what they're asking for. You apply that to all education uh, employees. $1.5 billion is the annual basis by the third year. That is the facts. And the fact is, when we are offering the second highest educator in the country, people who are, you know, I think in their heart of hearts are, do this as a vocation and who want to be in class, to be quite frank, I think when I'm told in not subtle terms that in the absence of essentially accepting an additional, an ancillary $750 million more dollar increase, that they will consider further escalation, I am simply asserting that that is totally unacceptable for parents. Parents want, I think, all the parties to be reasonable and to make the kid, the student, the center of this debate, not 
ourselves and certainly not the benefits, entitlements, or pay that members within education sector may get. All right, we're going to break that down. That is the Minister of Education. What a fascinating press conference this is. He doesn't really have anything fresh to offer here, other than to say that it is, as you heard, all about the money, and that it is the union that is saying that if you do not pony up an extra 1.5, or rather 750 a million dollars for a grand total of $1.5 billion in terms of increased funding in terms of the compensation package that we are going to walk. And the minister's position is that that is unacceptable to use your child's education as a bargaining chip to get more cash. Later on today, we are going to hear from the unions, and they will tell us, of course, that it's not about the money. It's not really, it's about the quality of education for your kids. And the question for you, as we head towards what is clearly an escalation in labor disruption, is where are you going to land as the parent? Where will the pressure be on the government or on the unions to settle? Bottom line is, this is going to get worse before it gets better. Stay with us here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto for the latest on this breaking news story. Oh, we've forgotten it's Friday. Play me out. I hope you get funky on the weekend. I hope you get out to the malls. I hope you do your duty. Your rock and roll shopping duty. Keep our economy alive. Buy stuff. We'll see you again on Monday. Have a great weekend. Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the great white north and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.